0: Canty and Carlin.
1: Thursday night football. The Miami Dolphins are in Cincinnati, and the Dolphins remain an enigma to me at 3 0. I don't know if that's actually
2: possible <laughs> that at 3 0, you can be an enigma, but to me, they are an enigma. Why do you keep shading the Miami Dolphins? It's a good football team, Carlin. It's a nice little team. Katelyn Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. We
1: are presented by Progressive Insurance. Eight 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 say ESPN. Eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. Let's not waste any time and get right to it with the Miami Dolphins tonight. A minute ago in Doug's update, you heard the Kurt Warner uh, sound from yesterday. We'll play it for you again here, and this is in relation to the Dolphins and. The fact that they are 3-0, and it was on the show yesterday uh, with Jason Fitz and with Harry Douglas who were filling in for us. Just to give you some context, this is what Kurt had to say about the Dolphins and what's real about their 3-0 start. I know we want to talk a lot about the offense. We'll talk about that second half against the Ravens and putting 35 points on the board and speed at the wide receiver, and that's, that's great because Tyreek is a heck of a player and Jalen Waddell, great player, and is playing really, really good football within the scheme of what they're asking him to do. But I really like their defense as well. You know, their defense is really what won the game for them against Buffalo. I hate to be that guy. I'm going to be that guy. I think this is an outstanding test tonight for the Miami Dolphins. Number one, you've got a few guys here who are banged up who are going to play, including Tua. But number two, Chris, on the defensive side, I feel like... It's a little bit on the overrated side so far. Mm, okay, and, and the reason, I, I've talked about the fact that they give up as many points as they did to the Baltimore Ravens, and yes, the Ravens are a very, very tough team to stop with Lamar Jackson. But I'm also pointing to the fact that they only give up seven points to the New England Patriots who are offensively um, stunted, let's put it Challenge, that way. Yeah. yeah. To to say the least. I think the Dolphins' defense is okay. I think tonight, on a short week when they were on the field for 90 plays this past week, if Miami went into Cincinnati and won this game tonight, I'll I'll be a believer. I'm on board then. I, I, two and on, you can have me. I'm with you. Uh, the Dolphins defense could show, I mean, and that's a tough, tough assignment when you were up doing that up against Buffalo the other day yeah. and you give up 500 yards offense.
2: See, the great thing about tonight's game is that I don't know that the Miami Dolphins can win without Tua being a big part of that, right? There are two types of quarterbacks quarterbacks that you can win with and quarterbacks that you win because of. And tonight, Tua is going to have to be the latter if the Dolphins are going to get out of there with the win, because you just mentioned it. The Miami Dolphins' defense was on the field for 90 plays in 90-degree heat over 40 minutes of game clock against the Bills' offense. I mean, now they had a valiant effort because they held the Bills to 19 points, so that's impressive in and of itself. But still, that's going to be a tired group going on the road on a short week. You're talking about four days rest. Not even, Carlin, because you got to build in a travel day. So that's what this defense is up against, and it looks like the Cincinnati Bengals offense is starting to hit their stride. I mean, hell, going into week three, they were a top-10 scoring outfit, and now they've solidified their standing with that, and it looks like T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd and Jamar Chase are finally starting to find their footing with Joe Burrow. So I, this is a test for the Miami Dolphins defense, and I don't know that the Fins can hold them down in terms of overall scoring, their offense, meaning Miami's, is going to have to step up tonight in a big way.
1: Look, the 19 points was ultimately the most important thing the other day. but Points is always the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And I, I get it. The only thing that a coach cares about is one more point than the
2: other guy. That's it.
1: I, and that's fine. I will say that I do have to pay attention to the fact that when we're talking about total defense so far this year, that the Dolphins are near the bottom. Yeah, they're 31st. Yep when we're talking about passing defense, they are way down Mm -hmm. and that they had what happened. And a lot of that, like if I'm going to point to the Patriots game in week one and say seven points kind of altered that number a little bit, you know, it kind of plays big when it's only a three game sample. Uh, I, I can't say the same thing. Uh, With the next couple of games, because I think it's been a few games here where they've given up a ton of yards, it's been bend but don't break, but to me it feels like a situation where they're inevitably going to break here.
2: Well, here's the thing. This has always been the calling card of the Miami Dolphins defense. It's always been bend but don't break, and they've been opportunistic. If you look at the two seasons prior to this under Brian Flores, you're talking about them having a combined 55 takeaways. So it's always about taking the football away, getting a key stop when you need it. And that's exactly what we saw in week three against the Bills. They had that possession. I think it was the Bills' second possession where Javon Holland has the strip sack on Josh Allen that leads to a point-blank scoring opportunity for Miami's offense. And then you had the key fourth down stop at the goal line at the end of the game. That's a turnover on downs. That was big in terms of determining the outcome. So – as long as the Dolphins' defense can get those stops, those takeaways, those opportunities where they, they you know thwart the opposing offense, I think that's what Mike McDaniel is banking on. But the offense for the Dolphins is also going to have to come to the party. And tonight, they're going to have to be the ones that win today because we're acknowledging that their defense is coming into this game tired.
1: Well, and when I would talk about their, their offense, I think you could also make the argument that the best thing that they have done – is what they haven't done in in that vein is give up the football. No,
2: they haven't turned the
0: ball.
1: They've up. only turned it over twice in three yeah. games, and that's yeah. pretty good. But you know, and those got... two
2: turnovers were interceptions by Tua against the Baltimore Ravens secondary.
1: Yep, which is not a very good secondary. I yeah, think but agree. they're
2: the number one defense in takeaways. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Now, when it comes to three and zero, so many Dolphins fans have been so hung up on who they've beaten, how they've gotten here, and how impressive it is. So. We go back to last year, five three and O teams. Raiders, Broncos, Panthers, Cardinals, Rams. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Miami Dolphins are the Carolina Panthers. They're not. No, they're not. they're not.'re
2: they better. Than I'm, I'm
1: gonna, I think they're better than the Raiders who made the playoffs at the end of the year. I think they're somewhere in the middle, they're closer to the Broncos, closer to the Cardinal. Where are they, Chris? When we look at a team that's three and0? How much can we take seriously, and where are they in that group? Because they're not the Rams either.
2: To me, it feels like they're the Cardinals, right? If you go back to last season, the Cardinals were a franchise that had invested in Kyler Murray. They had seemingly pushed all their chips to the middle of the table. Remember, they got rid of a head coach and a top-ten player at the quarterback position in order to bring in Cliff Kingsbury and install this offense that was tailor-made for Kyler Murray and they wanted to see whether or not that would be able to get them the results they were looking for, which is get them to the postseason. First couple of years, they fizzled. I think they were 5-10-1 the first year. They were 8-8 eight eight the second year, but they tailed off at the end of the season. Last year, they got out to a hot start. I mean, you're talking about them being you know, up there with the best teams in the NFC right up until that Thursday night game against the Green Bay Packers. Then it kind of went left form, but they still qualified for the postseason. But we had a ton of questions about what Kyler Murray was. Like, everybody had him in the MVP conversation for the first half of the last two seasons, and then for whatever reason, he turns into a pumpkin. People want to know, is that going to be the path of Tua? Is that what we're going to see? Because he could not have scripted a better start to his first three weeks in the NFL in 2022, but now we're wondering, can he sustain that level of play? And will that result in the Miami Dolphins being able to get back to the postseason? That's what everybody wants to know. That's why I think they're much closer to the Arizona Cardinals than they are the L.A. Rams, a team that we came into the season thinking that they were the favorites to win a Super Bowl.
1: This becomes a fascinating situation, and you made the point this morning. We were talking on our production call about Tua in this spot, and and frankly, I was a little bit surprised that it seemed so definitive that Tua was going to play this game. And when we saw that it was, whether it was back or whatever it was the other day, and an ankle injury as well, you said, no, 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 no. Why would it be surprising? Because it's not just about what they're going to be doing uh, tonight, but it's about figuring out if two is ever going to be able to stay healthy enough and you have to be able to play through nights like this, this is a team that has to decide whether or not they're going to pay him at the end of the year because now's the time. And I think it's a great point on your part, and I hadn't even considered
2: it. Yeah, I was on Get Up yesterday with Dominique Foxworth, and he was trying to make the point that they don't have to make a decision on paying Tua right now, and I I couldn't disagree with that more. I mean, they do have to make a decision on paying Tua this season. Based on the economics and what the going rate is for a quarterback in today's NFL, you've got to have a couple of years left on a rookie contract in order to prorate the new money that you're giving a guy in an extension and not have it blow up your roster when you give him a new contract. That's what it has to be. Like, the the Arizona Cardinals didn't want to pay Kyler Murray, but they had to get it done because it gives them a couple of years on his rookie deal – to put some of that new money in and prorate it as such mm-hmm. without it destroying the rest of your roster where you can keep a good supporting cast around him. I know it's a little inside baseball where I'm going with but this. But it's important. But it's important because the Miami Dolphins have to make a decision on the future at the quarterback spot. And they've put everything in place for Tua to be successful. And congratulations to him because he's taking full advantage of it. Now, can he do it over a 17-game season? And can he stay available and stay healthy? That's the biggest thing, Carlin. Like... It, they have to push him back out there. We got to know if this guy can hold up before we make a $150 million guarantee to this quarterback well, after this season is over with. I mean... That's what it's going to be, Carlin. I know that's, that's what the world we're living in now. I know that's where the number is.
1: But when we're talking... Like, this is the point. That's, a, that's still, at a minimum, Carlin. Yeah, I know. That, that, that's on the low end. Here's the point for me. <laughs> I am still so far off on, on being able... Like, if I were in the Dolphins' position... As much as they have to make the decision sooner rather than later, man, that like at least not hand them the contract in the middle of the season. I can late. I well, can, they can't. They can't pay him right now. No, this is his third but, year. They'd
2: have to pay him after it. Right. Yeah. But
1: the idea of making the decision now just scares the ever loving daylights out of me. Unless this is a massive year. It's Kenzie Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Now, guys. If you're suffering from hair loss, is there anybody who understands your plight more than me? Probably not. Probably not. If you're worried about your hair, I've been there, boys. I've been there. (laughs) You got to check out Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts. The sooner you take action, the more options you're going to have for keeping and restoring your hair. Got to be honest. Wish Bosley was around when when everything went south for me. Because I would have considered it, and I would have been in on it. Bosley has both surgical and non-surgical solutions to help you keep the hair you have and grow thicker, fuller hair where you need it the most. Right now, Bosley is giving away a free information kit and $250 gift card toward a procedure. Just text CARLIN to 203-203. You don't want to wait when it comes to hair loss. Trust me, guys. Trust me. I lived in denial for a long time about the situation. By the time I made the decision, I didn't have a decision to make. Just get the information, learn what you can be doing right now to keep or grow your hair. People trust Bosley. They're truly the leaders in hair restoration. They have the most experience restoring your hair and experience better. So, what are you waiting for here? Get your free Bosley info kit and a $250 off gift card when you text Carlin to 203 203. Again, text Carlin. 203-203. People learn from my mistakes. Don't be like the ball mamba. you Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. Normally you'd want to be like the Mamba, but not this Mamba. No, 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 no.
2: <laughs>
1: Bucks and Chiefs, Chris. Uh the game is officially going to be in Tampa. Yep. Uh we found that out about an hour ago from Adam schefter when he tweeted it out that um that it will happen there, and this is a tremendous, tremendous matchup as we know, and a couple of teams that, you know, are not that far off uh, from meeting up, meeting up in the postseason in the in the Super Bowl. And Chris, I, it, it's so hard for me to look at the Chiefs right now and not feel like offensively they're going to be just fine. But if I'm trying to pick between these two as far as who's got a better opportunity to go further this year god it's hard man it is hard to really pick the team because you have the chiefs who i don't believe in their defense right now even after what i saw against the chargers and i've got the bucks who are outstanding defensively and as banked up as they are i still wonder if they're going to be good enough down the line and they're in the nfc like i i would kill to be in the nfc if i were the chiefs right now
2: yeah and i think What you're looking at is wondering if the Chiefs' defense will ever get to the level where you'll feel comfortable saying that they're a true title contender, knowing a high-powered offense that they're going to have to go against versus why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' offense is struggling. And we know why they're struggling. They missed six starters last week. So we know why they're struggling. It's not a a state secret. And so it's just a matter of getting guys back healthy. At some point, you're going to get back Ryan Jensen. At some point, you're going to get back Chris Guywin and Julio Jones. I mean, at some point, you're probably going to get back Donovan Smith. So, uh, I mean, you got to figure that this offense in November is going to look a lot different than it looks right now. And as a result of the influx of talent, it'll be a lot better. Brady will take full advantage of it. Whereas with the Chiefs, there's still a lot of wait and see. Like, what's life like after Tyreek Hill in terms of the margin of error that you're going to have, the mistakes that your team can make and overcome? Um, This is not necessarily a big play offense like we saw in years past, but it's an offense that can be deadly because Pat Mahomes has been, you know, surgical in terms of spreading the ball around and playing within the structure of the offense.
1: Right, well, after week one, we're talking about, well, you know, maybe they'll be better without Tyreek no, Hill. No, I didn't say
2: they'd be better, but I think Pat Mahomes will trust the structure, the system, the play call more often. He won't rely on second reaction plays trying to hit home runs to Tyreek Hill because Tyreek Hill ain't there. Mm-hmm. He don't have those guys. I think he'll make sure that he hits that back foot, he gets the ball out on time to Travis Kelsey or, you know, Miko Harmon, Juju Smith-Schuster or uh, 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 MVS, any of the guys that he's got at his disposal. I think that's what he'll focus on. And the other thing that we have to keep an eye on with the Chiefs, they've made a more concerted effort on the run game. And you've got receivers that are willing blockers. Like Juju Smith-Schuster is known to be a dog when it comes to run blocking. And so, like, that's going to help in terms of being able to give them a little more balance. Now, I think a big piece of their team that's missing is Harrison Butker, and that can be a factor in this game. It was a factor against the Colts, right? Matt
1: Amendola, He missed
2: missed one at point-blank range against the Colts, and they went for the fake field goal because they didn't trust him early in the fourth quarter, and everybody in the stadium knew it, and the Colts snuffed it out. So, shoring up their special – oh, Sky Moore muffing a punt. Yeah. Their special teams was absolutely atrocious against the Colts, and that, that's what ultimately left the door open for them to lose that game. But I do think that the Chiefs can get those things cleaned up, but I just have more confidence in the guys coming back for the Bucs' offense and the Bucs' path to being able to get to the playoffs more so than the Chiefs. Think about it. There's nobody that's challenging the Bucs for the NFC South title. No. Nobody. Nobody. You don't trust Atlanta. You don't trust Chains New the Saints Orleans. Saints are a mess. You don't trust Carolina. Nope. So they're gonna they're gonna walk. The in, they're gonna walk into the playoffs and have a home playoff game to start the tournament. I mean, y- you look at Kansas City. Yeah, the AFC West seems like it's gotten out to a disappointing start, but you still got a lot of teams in there that could present a challenge. Like the Las Vegas Raiders played the Chiefs tight. Seems like every single game. The Denver Broncos are two and one. So we'll have to wait and see. Like. Uh, I just think there is more competition, there are more viable teams in the AFC West than there are the NFC South, and there are more viable teams in the AFC in terms of title contenders than there are in the NFC. Look, people can scream and yell about how the
1: AFC West is more overrated than we anticipated. It's not. It's not. And what you can look at is the Chargers are getting absolutely hammered right now. I mean, to lose Rashawn Slater and Bosa in the same week is a killer. Yeah. Um. But... Uh, We're looking at the Raiders who have lost their three games by a combined 13 points. This road is... The Raiders are favored against the Denver Broncos. Yes. This road (laughs) is not um, easy for whoever it is. Yeah. And that's why when I was spending more time thinking about it on the way in today, I I just don't see how you can't look at the Buccaneers and feel all of a sudden pretty good about where they are, not just with the division, but... um, Yeah, they may struggle offensively for a bit. And I still, personally, as ridiculous as it sounds, have questions about where Tom Brady's head's at this year. But I I just think it's too soft of a situation for them to not excel.
2: Well, let me ask you this question, because you're saying you're questioning Brady's mental focus. If he wins this game under these circumstances, how do you feel about Tom Brady and his commitment to trying to win a championship with this team.
1: Honestly, this is going to sound strange, but it's really depending on how he actually plays. Because I saw him in week one against the Cowboys, and yeah, he made some throws, but he did not look like the same guy
2: to me. And well, he's going to have to score some points in this game. Yeah, and, I, I mean, I don't give a damn how good the, the Bucks' defense is. They, The Chiefs are going to get theirs. Pat right. Mahomes is going to get his. You're not shutting it down. No, you're not going to shut it down. He's going to
1: have to score What's some points. What's the number? you got going to score 28 points to win this no, game? No, I'm going to say right around 24. Okay. you got to get 24 points. If 24 they, points, if, the defense if, will make that stick. If if they score 24 points and it's really Brady that's, you know, it, it, whether it's an, an even breakdown yeah. or Brady a little bit more, yeah. I, I guess I'll if feel a little what, bit differently what, what, about what, it. What
2: the final score is 24-23 and Tom Brady leads a last-minute drive, sets up the game-winning field goal. Yes, that will absolutely bring me back on it. Okay. That would absolutely do that. Because I could absolutely see that being the game script on Sunday night.
1: See, I'm still having trouble with it. And I don't know what it is. I I I just I'm, I could be reading too much the, the into reason... everything that's been around Brady here because trust me, I have never been one that
2: had, wants to be in a hurry to bury Tom Brady. No, I get you. You don't want to be the first one to that party, but here's why I say the Bucks offense has to score points. The Bucks defense, six of their eleven sacks have come via blitz. Yeah. Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback against the Blitz since the history of the metric, Carlin. (laughs) The history of the metric is stupid. He's got 45 touchdowns to five picks against the Blitz in a QBR over 90. Good luck. Like, you're going to have to score points if you're Tom Brady. And understanding that coming into this game, I think you'll see a different level of urgency. I'm telling you, this guy this week sounded a little bit different in terms of setting the agenda for this team under these circumstances, but that's what makes Tom Brady special, being able to excel in these moments when it seems like it's stacked against him.
1: Be a part of Canty and Carlin Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Hit us up at 888 sa espn 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper the one fans deserve. The history that's being made right now is being questioned by some as to whether or not it's actually history. We get the proper context from the proper source. That's next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive Michael Kay on the Yes Network in New York. Aaron Judge did it last night. That was a laser, too, by the way. Man,
2: did that ball get out.
1: In a hurry. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. And one of the things that's really bothered me over the last few weeks is just the fact that we have to have the discussion as to what is relevant, what is real, and what is not when it comes to all of this, as opposed to just a strict full-on celebration of what's been going on so we welcome in Buster only ESPN baseball insider right now to discuss this and this incredible achievement by Aaron Judge so Buster this is going to sound like a strange question but why is 61 important right now
0: well, 61 is important because, uh, you know, as I said on, on Get Up this morning, it's the Mount Everest of the sport, you know, for so many years. Uh, you know, because Ruth had hit 60, and then it took, what, 34 years until Maris got to 61. And then for so many years, 61 stood as the big number. Uh, and in the summer of 98, we all watched as McGuire and Sosa, uh, you know, chase that number and passed it. And then, you know, for a lot of casual fans, what we found out about the PED era, really meant that 61 took on added importance. You know, what I uh, have been saying is is that I, I think to extend the idea that this is the Everest of baseball and to extend the, the the mountain climbing analogy, you know, when you think about the first folks who climbed Mount Everest, they did so without the benefit of a bottle of oxygen, right, or, or that sort of aid. And then later, more people climb Mount Everest using oxygen, using substance. And I kind of think that's what happened with the baseball record, where uh, you know, for, there were certainly the players who are at the top of that list, uh, use substances, you know, Maris, uh, presumably judge because we're in an era in which they test for steroids. He hasn't tested positive. And so I think, you know, that, that makes that number for a lot of fans uh, a lot more important. And I do think, because I believe in the evolution of players. And I think hitting today is harder than it's ever been. That when you look at what Judge has accomplished, uh, you know, It looks like he's going to have a good chance to win a triple crown, uh, finishing with 62, 63, 64 homers. It's the most impressive thing that I've seen, especially in light of the pressure that he's been under uh, this year going into free agency.
2: Yeah, and he said it himself, you know, going 34 plate appearances before hitting 61, he felt the gravity of the situation. But Buster, I want to go back to something that you just alluded to and talking about um the the differentiation between what Roger Maris did and what we saw from Maguire, Sosa and Bonds Roger Maris Jr who I think has handled this situation and been class personified in terms of being there for Aaron Judge in that moment he had some strong comments post game in saying that Aaron Judge would be the true home run king if he hit 62 what do you make of that
0: yeah, I don't I don't agree at face value on it. You know, someone asked me, uh, or if they were to ask me, who's the you know the single season home run king? It's Barry Bonds. He's got seventy three. Who's the all time home run king? It's Barry Bonds. He's uh, you know he broke uh, Henry Aaron's record. Um, now, uh, as I've said, you know I do think that the question of the greatest season is a completely different question, and that's more subjective. And I'd say this, Chris, as someone who voted for Bonds for the Hall of Fame, who voted for McGuire, Clemens, because my feeling is, look, that's what baseball was. Like it or not, that's what the sport was. But if you ask me about the greatest season ever, uh, I, I think about it in this regard. If, if you ask me who was the greatest cyclist ever, would I pick Lance Armstrong? No. If you ask me who's the greatest sprinter ever, would you? Uh, w- uh, you know, would I say Ben Johnson, who set a record in the, in the 100-meter dash and then no, he had his medal no. strip for P.E.? No. And so now when I look at what Judge has done, based on the information we have, given the fact that hitting is so much harder, yes, I think this is the greatest season that any player has ever had.
1: Buster, only ESPN MLB baseball insider with us. Um, Buster, is he definitively the best player in the game right now?
0: Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting question because if you were to do a draft, right, if you had all the general managers sit down and do a draft of all the players with the intention of trying to win in 2023, he probably would not be the first player taken. He'd probably be among the top three or four, but I suspect that Otani would be number one because of the total value that he would bring. And I, and I, you know, and this is going to be really the frame his free agency. He turns 31 in April. You know, he's not, Uh, 23-year-old Juan Soto. So, Buster, we got to walk right into it then
2: since we're talking about Hot stove, What is the contract for Aaron Judge going to look like if he does win the Triple Crown (laughs) and he sets the single-season home run record?
0: (laughs) Well, I do think the number is going to go way beyond what the Yankees envision it would be when they made that $213.5 million offer. Uh, And and Hal Steinbrenner is going to feel pressure from the fan base like he's never felt before. Um, I, I do think there's going to be an, an opportunity for another team, the Giants, uh, you know, the Cubs, the or excuse me, the Mets, the, the Red Sox maybe, to go out there and put out a huge number, you know, $350, $400 million, And then it's going to be up Hold to Hal Hold on, Buster, Bust, you said $400 million? Somebody's going to get uh, stupid. <laughs> well, could it, could I, it go hey, there? Hey, someone think who's covered – I've covered pre- – <laughs> I've covered professional sports a long time. Don't rule out stupid. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I mean, I saw the Rockies give Chris Bryant almost $200 million last winter in one of those contracts. The moment you heard it, you're like, okay, well, that's a bust. Uh, (laughs) So I wouldn't rule that out. And then the question becomes, do the Yankees chase it? And here's the X factor in the whole thing that no one ever brings up. We don't really know what Aaron Judge himself wants. We know that when the Yankees threw that you know, $213.5 million at him in the spring, he didn't say, uh, yeah, but uh, how about this number? If you give me 275 if you give me $300, I'll sign. He didn't do that. He just said, no. When he becomes a free agent, we're going to find out. Would he really rather play for the Giants? It's possible, and it's also his prerogative. He's earned the right, and so we'll see where the numbers go from there.
1: Amazing stuff, Buster. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, guys. I, I'm. I shudder to think where this is headed, because somebody's going to get stupid, and I think that somebody might be Steve Cohen, because the I could absolutely see him going to 375. They were at 213 before the season. Yep. And that's going to get to 375. Somebody's going to give him eight years. Somebody's going to give them
2: eight or nine. Somebody might give him nine years. Yeah. 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 It's going to get there. He, he might be under contract until he's 40 years old. As a Yankee fan right now, how are you going to feel if he walks away? It's not going to feel good. Yeah. I mean, because we had an opportunity to lock him up, and that's when you throw the bag at him. You make him an offer that he can't refuse. Uh, we've heard that before. And, and you get him to sign. you know. But the fact that they let this thing drag out, that Brian Cashman wasn't willing to go to a certain place because of his age, and then he put together a historic season, an all-time season – As you heard from Buster, quite possibly the greatest season of all time. It's a scary proposition, man. And here's the thing. It's not just the production walking out of the door. It's the leadership, the intangibles. It's the closest thing we've had in a Yankees uniform since Derek Jeter. And you're letting that walk out of the door. I think when Aaron Judge walks out of the door, you're talking about the Yankees window for competing for a championship slamming shut. And that doesn't feel great.
1: No, and I go back to what Buster said at the beginning. What does it say about the player when he turns that down, and all the pressure in the world is on him this year, and he goes out and wins a triple crown? I mean, it holy says he's cow. Ma- It
2: says he's made of the kind of stuff that can be an anchor for a team that can win a World Series. That's
1: one of the all-time amazing sports performances. But you're to tell right, the, truth.
2: the Giants. Yep. The Mets. He said the Cubs. Mm -hmm. Those are all big market teams that are going to be involved in this deal.
1: Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and on ESPN+. Plus. Hey, by the way, starting on Monday, you're going to be able to watch us live on the ESPN app. All you got to do is open the ESPN app right at the bottom there, click watch, boom, there we are, bang, easy as can be. You'll be able to watch the show live. That starts this Monday. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, as we said, and there are people on this very network who have said the Cowboys can still win the Super Bowl? <laughs> I didn't know they were allowed to drink in the morning, but apparently they are. We'll discuss Cantia Garland next, ESPN Radio.
0: You miss Canty and Carlin. Chris,
1: a few minutes ago, mentioned Roger Maris Jr. And the Maris family had been basically following the Yankees around for the last week or so. Starting to get, you know, Roger, how long are you going to hang out here? I
2: mean, you know. Starting to oh no! Litchy. I didn't take it like that at all, man. I thought it was—I <laughs> oh, cla- no, I, I thought it was classy with the what, what the family did, how they handled it, and what they had to say about it. Oh, they did. They handled I mean, Roger Maris Jr. Classy. was as excited as I, Judge's mom was when he hit sixty-one.
1: No, what I meant was like, you know, it just—at what point does it get awkward? It's like, you gonna hit this home run or not? What, oh what yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. That's what yeah, I yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. The Maris's are great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't—I meant it like that. Gotcha. He, here he is on. Uh, what happens uh, when Judge breaks the record and the
0: fact that he tied the record? I think it means a lot, and it's not just for me. I think it means a lot for a lot of people, you know, that uh, he's clean, he's a Yankee, he plays the game the right way, and, uh, you know, I think it gives people a chance to look at somebody who... uh, you know, should be revered for hitting 62 home runs and not just as a, a guy who did it in the American League. He should be revered for, you know, being the actual single season home run champ. I mean, that's really who he is if he hits 62. And uh, and I think that's what needs to happen. I think baseball needs to look at the records and I think baseball should do something.
2: I don't know what they can do, though. There's nothing that baseball can do. I I get that Rob Manfred is the commissioner, and and baseball, unlike any other sport, is loyal to the numbers, and they mean more. But at the same time, this is something that the prior commissioner, Bud Selig, allowed to happen and devolve under his watch. And if you're going to say, well, Barry Bond's numbers are tainted because he was on PEDs, well, what about the pitchers that were thrown into baseball? Yeah. Are, Are they above suspicion? Do we know that they weren't on PEDs? So, again, it just feels like it's one of those situations because Major League Baseball didn't take more steps to clean up the game prior to that this is the record that's going to have to stay. Now, if we want to put an asterisk by it and say, okay, this is the record and this happened in the steroid era, but Aaron Judge, you know, once we got past that, actually eclipsed 61 and he, you know, set the new American League home run record – I think that says something. So I I I don't think that we can erase Barry Bonds out of the history books just because that that era of baseball didn't have the level of integrity that that is important to us now. I, I think I, I think it was John Cruck that I heard that said it. It makes
1: bad players or average players good. It makes good players great. It makes great players amazing. Video game off the charts. But I still look at Barry Bonds, and he's the best player I ever saw. Yeah, and I, and I get it. Period. I understand. You cannot wipe that away because of what happened. You, you just can't. There, there should be some sort of way to separate them, though. Cowboys have done an amazing job of keeping their season alive without Dak Prescott. Yes, they have. And Dak Prescott's not playing this week, it sounds like. Uh, he basically indicated, if I'm correct, that he is not uh, going to be available this coming week. Maybe for week five. We'll see what happens. With that in mind, Keyshawn on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max yesterday morning on the Cowboys and where they stand right now. This is a 13-type win team, okay? So if you thirteen and 4 you probably are going to have the first-round bye in the NFC, probably. Well, only one of them. Only one. Yeah. Only one, and you'll probably get that. And if they can keep this recipe together, the Cowboys are going to probably wind up in a Super Bowl. If they keep that formula, because what did Tampa Bay do when they first got Tom Brady? The defense hit fire. And Brady made some plays. You know what I think it's going to come down to They scored. They did some stuff. But that defense is
2: ultimately why. So, Same thing with the Rams a year ago. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and that defense is the reason. I, I,
1: I'm sorry, what? A, a, a Super Bowl team, a 13-win team, a 13-win team. Key, come back to me. I mean, honestly, I'm going to actually go I, – I know you couldn't do it. I'm actually going to go on tomorrow morning yeah. at eight ten
2: Eastern. Yeah. And we'll talk about a few things, but this is going to come up. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? No, it has to come up. I, I, Key has got to chill out. Now, here's the thing. I do feel like the Cowboys are going to benefit from having one of the easiest strengths of schedule coming into this season – And out of the 14 games that they have remaining on their schedule, I think six are going to ultimately determine the outcome and what they'll be. All right, you got the two games against Philadelphia. One of those, obviously, is on the road. You got the game against the Los Angeles Rams, two road games, Green Bay Packers, Minnesota Vikings, and then a road game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. If you can somehow, someway, be 500 with those six games, the Dallas Cowboys will absolutely be a playoff team. There's no question about it. They're not it in winning my mind. 13. They're not winning 13 games, but I, I think that's that's asinine for Keyshawn to suggest that, especially looking at the Philadelphia Eagles. They're not going to win their division. No, uh, that's going to that that that's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles going away. But I do think the Cowboys have the ability to be one of the three wild cards in the NFC, and it just deter- it's just going to be determined by the formula that they implemented, what their identity on the offensive side of the ball ultimately becomes. We know what they are on defense, Carlin. They're going to be able to rush the passer better than anybody else in the NFL. That that we know. They got a playmaker, a ball hawk on the back end, and Trayvon Diggs, and a pretty damn good safety in Donovan Wilson in his own right. Their defense is set. Their defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. It'll keep it close enough where the Cowboys and Kellen Moore, their offensive coordinator – don't have to deviate away from the run game no matter who their quarterback is. The only question is, will Mike McCarthy, will Kellen Moore, and most importantly, will Jerry Jones be comfortable with Dak Prescott serving in a role as a game manager who just so happens to make a handful of throws every single game that can be the difference? That's where they're going to lose me because I don't think – at some point, I think the rubber's
1: going to hit the road there and they're going to get too antsy about it. And it's, it's not going to – because they're just not comfortable doing it. It doesn't mean that it's the right thing. I'm with you. Yeah. I would do that. But you're right about those six games because otherwise there's no reason for them not to be a playoff team. Yeah. But let's not sit here and, th- and suggest that they're a Super Bowl team when, just frankly, they have not resembled a Super Bowl team no. at all through the first three weeks of the year. I don't care who the quarterback is when that's the case.
0: Auntie and Carlin
2: Weekdays on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus